When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. He just realized that we didn't hit the go live button. We've been talking about stuff. Hang tight. Let's get to it. Off the hook sports. My apologies. Dave Hooker Show, a presentation of Off the Hook Sports. Objective insight, expertise, top guests. Available on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the Off the Hook Sports app. Download now for free. Also available on offthehooksports.com. I compute and obey. Now to Dave Hooker. Ready. For those on the message board, I got to be honest with you. We thought we were live and I forgot to hit the go live button. Let's start all over. I usually lead with with something quippy or something like that, but I'm going to lead with a comment by our message board. They've been posting away and I've been responding to you guys, but you didn't know I didn't hit the go live button because I'm the village idiot of the day. David Michael said, let's go nine days to go. That's right. And Caleb, it just seems like it takes forever and then it hits warp speed. And warp speed is now just nine days until Tennessee hits the field against Virginia. Also, David Leverton uh, visited with him in the Celebrate 98 series, had an incredible tackle against Peter Wark that we talked about with Fred White. So we've got a monstrous show, but be sure and hit that like and subscribe button. Be on our youtube uh, channel because there are all kinds of great stuff that's always uh, popping there and hey what not today but tomorrow you gotta tune in because he is a bona fide great gambler brought to you by zen sports and my guy caleb calhoun has some week zero games tomorrow that he's gonna make you some money at so that's pretty cool caleb uh and um We'll see what you're able to do. I want to keep track this year, though, to to make you accountable because our listeners deserve to make money. They 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 don't need to go in debt because of your picks. I hope that's not going to be the case. I am not responsible if you lose money trusting me, but you won't lose money. How do you do? I mean, you have to win what fifty eight point five percent to cover no, the 52. juice. Just fifty two. 
Hey, you got, I thought you had to do a little bit. Just 52? Just 52. Okay. Well, what did you do last year? Did you keep track? Um, I'd rather not talk about last year. But to be fair, to be fair, I got sucked in by a lot of parlays. And 80% of sports, uh, sports books profits come from parlays. Because you see two things and you're like, there's a greater than 60% chance of, both of each of these things happening. But there's not a greater than 60% chance of both of those things happening. And yeah. that's how they get you. That is. That's how they get you. Go ahead and hit that uh, like and subscribe button coming up on the program today. Well, we're loaded. Joe Milton's full of confidence. Should he be or is it a little too much? You now uh, can uh, uh, walk the aisles at the Thompson Bowling Arena presented by Food City or whatever they want to call it. We'll get into that a little bit. Kelsey Pope, Tennessee's wide receiver coach, was a nobody three years ago. Now he's one of the best young coaches in the nation and considered an incredible rising star. Also, we'll get into four downs, and that is who's Tennessee's best coach, their MVP coach, highest upside, most likely to not be on the staff in 2023. And then five recruiting targets. We're talking some recruiting. Five recruiting targets to keep an eye on our college football picks, as well as our New Year's Six Bowl projections. Uh, we both picked Tennessee yesterday. I've got Tennessee making the college football playoff. Uh, Caleb just outside of that. And the ACC is still trying to stay relevant. So a lot going on on the program. Travis says Caleb picks LSU every week. We're both high on LSU. That doesn't mean that we root for them. We just happen to think that they're going to be very good under Brian Kelly, but that's because of the kids growing up in the backyard. That's not necessarily – well, it's partly because of Brian Kelly, but there's no fandom here whatsoever. I got respect for what they do. No, yeah, I just think it's a scary combination to have LSU be led by a coach with brain cells and because they haven't had that in nearly 20 years since – um. Uh, Nick Saban was there. I think it's a scary combination to have LSU, the athletic program, be re- led by people with brain cells because they haven't had that in a long time either. I mean, they were led by Mark Emmert, and I forget the guy after Mark Emmert, but they, yeah, I've noticed they've, they've now been led by a few competent people and they've won a national championship in baseball and women's basketball. They're, t- they're, they're starting to dominate athletically. Joe Oliva is the guy you're, you're thinking about, I believe, who was the next athletic director, right? Was, that, was he the one who hired Ed Orgeron because he was so blown away by Ed Orgeron's binder? Ed Orgeron brought a binder to the interview, and he was like, he had such great detail in that binder. I want to know what was in the binder. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe the phone numbers of Booster's wives he had had relations with. <laughs> that beats me. Today's tough question is now, and it's brought to you by Zen Sports. Today's tough question. Take a side. Take a stand. The Dave Hooker Show, a presentation of offthehooksports.com. Joe Milton got his got his guys some Christmas well uh, beginning of the year presents, not Christmas presents, but he got his guys some presents. What did he get for his uh, teammates, Caleb? He got his teammates some Beats by Dre headphones. And then he sent a message on it, which was, let's go win the East. 
And it's because he got uh, he just got an NIL deal with Beats by Dre, which is a pretty good NIL deal. It's a really good NIL deal. Uh, highly overrated product, for the record. Um, go with Skull Candy. Uh, listen, I know acoustics and Skull Candy sounds better. And Skull Candy is about a half of the price. That's what I'm wearing right now. But anyway, uh, and that's without any endorsement whatsoever. The question I want to ask is about Joe Milton's confidence. And it's brought to you by Zen Sports. Zen Sports is the new sports book in Tennessee, revolutionizing the way you earn sports betting rewards. That means no more deposit bonuses that turn into deposit nightmares. On Zen Sports, what you see is what you get. And with their cash rewards program, you get a lot of cash. For a welcome bonus, earn an unlimited 5% cash back on your betting volume for your first 15 days when you sign up with the promo code HOOKED. That's HOOKED. That's right. Unlimited 5% cash back. Keep betting. Keep earning with up to 3% cash back on your betting volume every month after that. Refer friends to earn a percentage of their betting volume as cash rewards to Zen Sports, bringing the cash back to Tennessee. So if you bet big on sports, you want to be betting on Zen Sports. Zen Sports betting just got better. Use the promo code HOOKED. So let's go win the East. Joe Milton showing off some confidence. Perhaps you would call it cockiness. Do you like it, Caleb Calhoun? Do you think it's over the top for a guy that hasn't really proven anything, has lost a starting job twice, but do you like his confidence and where he's coming from from a mental standpoint? I, I, I've been debating this in my head, and I'm the one who proposed the question, and I've, I've literally fought with myself on this all night, but I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say yes because he hasn't shown any level of cockiness yet. I mean, I don't think it's a big deal to – he didn't do what Tyler Bray did at 2012 SEC Media Day saying, I guarantee we're going to win the SEC championship after a 5-7 and seven season. He didn't do that. But he did do – all he said was he, he bought his guys' headphones and said, let's go win the East. I don't think that's that – I think that's a healthy level of confidence for a quarterback who – I think it's a good thing that Joe Milton approaches the game with the idea of I didn't lose my starting job. I just got hurt. And I have to be fair that I like it. I, I, I've come around to I like it. I've debated with myself on it. I'm not going to lie that I have it because I think Joe Milton probably needs to show a little more humility than some other quarterbacks because there's a debate over whether or not he can even hold this starting job throughout the year. But he hasn't done anything a little bit. He hasn't done anything too extra so far. He should have said, let's go win it all. I love his confidence. Absolutely love, love, love his confidence. And I would have taken it a step further had I been him. He didn't call out a team, so he didn't provide any bulletin board. Maybe Georgia uses that as bulletin board material. If you say, let's win it all, then nobody has bulletin board material. And Tennessee is one of the few teams, I believe, out there that can win it all. So... No, I don't think he's too cocky. And I, I will tell you, not outwardly, but in terms of confidence, he's the same as Hendon Hooker. Hendon Hooker was extremely confident going into last season. He just didn't talk about it. Joe Milton talks about it. And we discussed this way back in the offseason, how Joe Milton would come across differently thanks to our conversations with Jacob Warren and Cooper Mays, ball reports of them are up now. And we discussed all of that and how he was more outwardly confident. Well, at the end of the day, um, I think that only uh, 
that only helps Tennessee and Tennessee's fans, but it's the same thing. Hendon Hooker was confident last year. He just didn't talk about it. I don't think there's any difference in their confidence level. I guess the question is whether you like it to be outward and whether you like him to be vociferous or not, Caleb. But I I love it. I I got no problem with it. He should have gone stronger, in my opinion. There's a big difference, though. And I mean, we have to say this much. Hendon Hooker didn't lose his starting job twice. Now, the. Well, but he. He got he got jettisoned from Vautech. Yes, but again, there there is context to this. And I was talking about this, I guess, a couple of weeks ago. Every Virginia Tech fan sided with Hendon Hooker in that Virginia Tech Justin Fuente spat. And notice Justin Fuente was fired a year later. Everybody at Vautech felt that Justin Fuente railroaded Hendon Hooker and that it was completely unfair what was done to him. So I would say that Hendon Hooker Whereas with, when Joe Milton transferred out of Michigan, where he lost a starting job, everybody in Michigan said good riddance. Everybody said good. So there was a big difference between how what happened between those two schools. And everybody agrees Hooker was railroaded. Everybody agrees that Hooker unfairly was not named the starter at Tennessee. That you even told me, the source close to the program, was made a very clear hypo only pick Milton because he signed Milton. And... The minute Hooker – so Hooker took a starting job. He never lost one. Joe Milton's lost one twice. True. Um, Joe Milton, though, I think the only concern here is this false confidence. Is he presenting? Is he peacocking? Um, is he trying to put up a big show because he's not inwardly confident? And Tom will tell if that's the case. I, I think that – Tennessee's coaches are going to be very adept at putting him in situations where his confidence continues to grow. And I go back to the Clemson game where they 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 ran a lot of things that were different than what they ran with Hendon Hooker to take advantage of Joe Milton's skill set. And he is accurate over the middle. I'm tired of that conversation. His accuracy is not it's practically not a question. Okay. And and People are like, oh, man, I've seen him sell balls out there. Well, at least half of those balls, all of them pretty much were deep balls, right? The ones that you've been concerned about were down the field, throws of 20 yards or more. At least half of those have to be put on the receivers because of reads, right? They're, They're as inexperienced or were in 2021 as Tennessee's quarterback. So you got to put half of it on him. So you, you're only hoping to complete a third of those balls at best. So you take half of them out before you even get the ball to the receiver, and you, suddenly your percentage is going to be low. But over the middle, I, I saw enough in the Orange Bowl. I have no question about his accuracy on intermediate and short routes. He's got to take a little bit off the ball. I get that. Throw it with your fingers, not your whole arm, if it's a flat pass or a screen pass. But – at the end of the day, Caleb, I mean, he's um, – I don't think accuracy is an issue anymore. I, ca- I kind of came to that conclusion yesterday when I was thinking about it, and I'm, I'm going to write something about it today. We said the same thing about Hendon Hooker. So if, if he's confident and he's throwing the ball accurately in practice, which you think he is, then what's to worry about? Mark that off the list of, of – of concerns right now there are three concerns that tennessee has 
defensive backfield, quarterback, and now the offensive line with Cooper Mays injured. How would you rate those one, two, three? So defensive back, quarterback, and offensive line, you said, right? No, defensive back, offensive line. Yeah, you're right. You got them. Okay. Concerns, ranking them. Oh, offensive line's at the top now. Offensive line is the biggest concern, not just with Cooper Mays injured. Tennessee doesn't have answers. I don't think at tackle right now. I think they – I I know we haven't heard anything negative about John Campbell Jr., and that's good. But I do think they wanted him, as you talked about, to start at tackle. So they're not – it's not like he took the job. He was kind of given that job at left tackle. And then um, Gerald Mincy hasn't emerged. Addison Nichols hasn't emerged. They don't have an answer at left guard right now because they're having to move Ali Lane over to center. So I think offensive line is a big concern right now. So second, what's second? Joe Milton or defensive backs? It's defensive backs. I will. I'll, I'll acknowledge it's defensive backs. I, I think. I mean, yes, yeah, defensive backs is technically the first, the biggest concern. But the reason I have offensive line the biggest concern is because if offensive line doesn't work out, then the whole season is almost a bust for Josh Eibel's offense. I've never heard this quote, but. Rocky Top Tom has said enough smart things on our channel where I'm going to go ahead and put it up on the screen. He said, hate Spurrier, but love this quote. Half your throws are dropped. Half of them are route errors on the receiver's side. It's the third half that count. I, I, I'd never heard Steve Spurrier say that. Y- y- Rocky Top Tom, I'll take your word for it. But whether or not he said it, it's absolutely true. I mean, I have abs- uh, no argument with that. And that goes back. I mean, if you want to really think about it, there are a lot of crazy errant throws in Steve Spurrier's offense where it just seemed like the announcers would say, oh, uh, that uh, Danny Werfel and the receiver weren't on the same page. You don't hear that as much with Josh Heupel's offense from announcers, and I don't know why, but that's got to be the case uh, in a lot of situations. Let's well, they turn- also – yes. Oh, I was going to say it was it was a well known thing that those were option routes by receivers in the fun and gun though, wasn't it? Didn't receivers have three or four options uh, each receiver in Spurrier's fun and gun? So you kind of knew it's kind of like the Patriots' offense, but more of a deep ball. So why isn't that as well known? Because it is the case with Josh Heupel's offense. Why isn't that as well known? Is is it because he doesn't talk to the media? The routes seem a lot more simplistic in, in Josh Heupel's offense. You tell me, don't the routes seem a lot more simplistic in Heupel's offense than they were in Spurrier's offense? I think they're probably two or three choices instead of three or four in Spurrier's offense, which further complicates things. And it's a little bit easier in Josh Heupel's offense. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think it's as complicated, but I still think it's complicated enough where the receivers are going to make mistakes. Speaking of receivers... Tennessee wide receivers coach Kelsey Pope named a rising star by on three. Here's the quote. I think Kelsey's an expert wide receiver coach that according to a coaching source telling on three quote to me, he's a master teacher of his, of the receiver position. He played the position at a really high level and he understands the game. Wow. That's strong. Because it's easy to say Jalen Hyatt had a fantastic year because of Josh Heupel, because Hendon Hooker played through the roof, because um, any number of reasons this offense uh, took defenses aback. But to put a lot of that on Kelsey Pope, which is somewhat what on three in this coach is doing, 
that's pretty darn strong. That being said, this could be somebody pumping up one of Tennessee's coaches in hopes that he gets hired away because they're afraid of this staff. But um, do, do we give Kelsey Pope enough credit for what Jalen Hyatt did for Ramel Keaton's development for, for the guys that he's worked with? Probably not. We don't. And I am huge on, I'm very high on Kelsey Pope. Remember this. He was an all field staff member in 2021 when Cody Burns was at Tennessee as a receivers coach. Kelsey Pope's sole task during that time off the field was working with the whiteouts, no slot receivers. He turned Cedric Tillman into a thousand yard receiver. And we, Dave, you and I had thought at the, going into the draft that Cedric Tillman was a better NFL draft prospect than Jalen Hyatt because of his technique. That was Kelsey Pope. I, I need, do I need to remind people Cedric Tillman was a two star receiver out of Nevada. Nobody believed in him. And he was buried in the depth chart until Kelsey Pope got there and worked with him. Then he becomes the receivers coach and turns Hyatt into a Blitnikoff winner. Yes, that's the system. I'm not, I think that's more hypo system than anything. But I, I do think Pope had something to do with Hyatt reaching that next level. I think, but, but what he did with Cedric Tillman to me is still the biggest standout success because he turned Cedric Tillman into a thousand yard receiver and an NFL receiver. And as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, there's a lot of hype behind Cedric Tillman in Cleveland right now. I think Randy Moss said he thinks Tillman's the best prospect right now and from the draft at receiver. Can I play devil's advocate for a second? Sure. If he's that great of a receiver, why is he making $250,000 this year? And um, obviously Alec Ablin is, is the lowest paid coach on Tennessee staff making 243000 because he just got upped into that tight end position. But as far as guys that have been on the staff, the latest raise got Kelsey Pope from 225 to 250. Jerry Mack went from 425 to 500,000. So you go from Pope to Mack on the uh, pay scale board, and the guy right above him is making double. That's a significant difference. So if Josh Heupel is as high on Kelsey Pope and he's not a product of Tennessee system, why isn't Josh Heupel paying Kelsey Pope more? Because Kelsey Pope was just promoted two years ago. Everybody else on the staff outside of Alec Ablin, who you named, was an on-field staff member Josh Heupel's first year at Tennessee. Kelsey Pope wasn't. He was an offensive analyst, and then he became a receivers coach. And Kelsey Pope, let's not forget, I think he's only like 31. He was, he was 29 when he was promoted. And so he probably, I mean, and Dave, you know, this don't staff members, don't they usually sign just like two year contracts? Yes. You usually get sometimes a coordinator will get three. Okay. So he's probably just on the second year of a two year deal. I bet he does get a, get a pay increase fairly soon after this kind after this first contract is up, but that was his first on field role. You're going to get him at a discount at that when you get the first on field when you get your first on-field assistant coach job. No, I, I don't think we give him enough credit, but I do think it's somewhere in the middle. I think it's partly Josh Heupel's offense, of course, which leads us to four downs, and it's brought to you by Andy Mason, andymasonrealestate.com. Best service, best prices in the biz. He's in East Tennessee, andymasonrealestate.com. In Knoxville, there's nobody else to call, nowhere else to go to, andymasonrealestate.com. Four downs. Four questions. 
for answers. The Dave Hooker Show. Four. Four. Bounds. A presentation of offthehooksports.com. All right, here we go. Let's take a look at Tennessee's coaching staff after Kelsey Pope gets some love. And it'll be interesting to see 10 years from now if he turns out to be a great coordinator being under Josh Heupel or he's just a really good assistant coach that develops wide receivers. There, there's no there's no shame in being the latter. I mean, that's that's still a great way to make a good living, and it's still a lot a lot more fun, I would think, than a lot of other jobs out there. But, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if he's going to be that type of guy that uh, I think uh, – I don't want to go back too far and throw people – how about a Rodney Garner? If he's a Rodney Garner at the end of the day, I don't think that's a bad thing, but he may be more than that. He may be a head coach that has success. I don't think any of us know – right now, Caleb, and I, I think you would agree with that. So Cooper Mays will call out the snap. Uh, first, Cooper, what should people do? Cooper Mays here. Hit like and subscribe. Thank you. Coop here. First down. Best coach on Tennessee staff not named Josh Heupel, and I'm putting rules on this, and I'm going to go a little bit slow for my guys on the message board because I want to hear your thoughts as well. So best coach on Tennessee staff, you can only name – a coach one time okay so you can't he can't get repeated mentions out of the four down so i'm making it tough on you i feel like i'm trying to describe the shopping game on the price is right plinko's simple but you start to describe some of those other games and people get confused all right so you can only pick a coach once and you can't pick josh heupel so first down is Best coach on Tennessee staff. Just best. It's it's Rodney Garner. It's Rodney Garner. He's the best at his job of any coach on the staff at their jobs. And he should be, though. He's been coaching defensive line for 25 years now, 30 years. So it's, it's Rodney Garner. I think it's Tim Banks. I think with what he has to deal with, with this offense going up and down the field, I love what he does schematically up front. I know that Tennessee's defense hasn't been great, but it's never going to be great with this offense. I think you're going to see Tennessee be even better in creating turnovers and being able to create havoc in the backfield. I'll go Tim Banks. So let's go to second down. Cooper Mays here. Second down. The MVP coach on Tennessee staff. Now, this is where I've painted myself into a corner because I can't go banks again, and you have some flexibility. And I did that by design. The MVP coach, the guy that, if he said, I have come to this conclusion in my life where on uh, August 24th, 25th, I'm going to retire and I'm going to join the Peace Corps and I'm going to build communities in Romania. And he leaves today. Who's the MVP? Who do they miss the most? It's Glenn Ellerby. I mean, the work Glenn Ellerby does with the offensive line Ooh. is so underrated. And given how much Josh Heupel relies on the run game, Glenn Ellerby's Tennessee's best O-line coach since Mike Berry in 1998. Yep. You took my guy. You're so smart. You took my guy. That's my way of complimenting myself. It is Glenn Ellerby. Um, and especially now, 
because he knows these guys. And if he up and joined the Peace Corps to go to Romania and build communities, this would be bad for Tennessee's offensive line because they need coaching right now and they need to kind of hit that uh, next level as far as development, which is disconcerting that they haven't hit it at this point. What down is it, Coop? Tennessee center Cooper Mays here, third down. Highest upside of any of the coaches. I'm going first. Kelsey Pope. Uh-huh. We're in a actually no. You know what? It's Alec Ablin. Alec Ablin, who was just promoted to tight ends coach. Uh you think Alec Ablin has I think Alec Ablin. I think he I think Kelsey Pope is a great on field ball guy, ball coach, you know, developing receivers. I think Alan and Alec Ablin is more of a I think he brings a schematic edge to the offense. I think Alec Ablin is more position is better positioned to become an offensive coordinator one day. Okay, so you like Alec Ablin more than Joey Halsley? Yes. 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 I think Joey Halsley is just a – that's just – Josh Heupel just needs an official title guy, but it's his offense. Look, there's a red flag to me to this day, and you guys can call me crazy, but it stood out to me that Joey Halsley did not get an on-field role for after when he was with Heupel for, what, like 10 years, and he was an all-field coach for 10 years under Heupel in different – capacities never got an on-field staff role until his last year at UCF I believe that look that that's kind of a red flag yeah okay um kind of be being hard on Joey Halsley but I'll be honest I I love the singer Halsey though I mean she's great but I don't know who that is um what Dan is it Coop all SEC center Cooper Mays here fourth down most likely to not be on the staff in 2023 I'm going first Willie Martinez we agree again. We agree. I'm so glad I disagreed with you on Kelsey Pope because it's obviously Willie Martinez. I don't think Willie Martinez wants to be on the staff in 20 after 2023. Yeah. And also his contract is up after this year. He's the only Tennessee coach where his contract is up and uh, Rocky top Tom added one too. So I'm going to throw this in there. Um, Here's a good one for Caleb and Dave. Who's the best assistant coach UT has ever had. I have a feeling I know the answer. Well, his name, uh, last name, rhymes with Rutcliffe, and his first name is the same as mine. It's David Cutcliffe, right? My name's actually Davis, but yeah, it's, it's David Cutcliffe, isn't it? Uh, yes, for the modern era, it is David Cutcliffe. However, I mean, I just have to go here. Tennessee had a line coach in the 1930s who became head coach while Neyland Neyland went to serve in World War II. And his name was John Barnhill. And look at the All-Americans John Barnhill produced in the 30s. He has, he produced a three-time All-American in Bob Suffrage coaching the line. I'm just going to point him out. We go history. He's got me beat. He's Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker. Um, Thompson Bowling Arena adds Food City to its name uh, why this is significant for the Vols in 90 seconds and why it's an incredible break from tradition because there's some guys named Thompson and Bowling that laid out a lot of cash to get that building built 90 seconds we're back off the hook sports Candace I was I was really heavy into the drug culture Um, I was selling drugs I was just constantly in pain 
I was missing like a good support system in my life. Chaos has given me everything that I need in order to successfully have a wonderful recovery, in order to have a life that I didn't even know was possible. And it's not just about me anymore. And I love that. I absolutely love it. You can take your life back. Call Cadis today. With all that sun, sand, and salt water, the beach is a very relaxing place. Unless you wear contacts. Ow! Open your eyes to the best the beach has to offer with LASIK Vision Correction from Campbell Cunningham Laser Center. Ah. Sports Treasures in North Knoxville is one of the South's largest sports cards and memorabilia dealers featuring over 10 million sports cards from vintage to modern. Sports Treasures carries a full line of hobby boxes, singles, autographed memorabilia, Tennessee ball collectibles, fan cave decorations, and so much more. See a museum full of collectibles at Sports Treasures, 4819 North Broadway in Fountain City, and Sports Treasures on Facebook. Sports Treasures, where the real sports fan goes to shop. Um, who's this guy? Hello, wizard. The Dave Hooker Show, Ooh. a presentation of Off the Hook Sports. What? YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the free Off the Hook Sports app. Back to Dave Hooker. On the message board, first Travis saying, stop referencing millennial music. Amen, Caleb. Uh, Travis also saying I'm a, a Barnhill fan. Who's not a Barnhill fan? Can you imagine filling in for Nealon and then dominating? I can't even imagine what that's like of having a World War II and your coach of your favorite team leaves. And but football was so secondary. I mean, you can can you just imagine? I mean, football became secondary to the pandemic, but that wasn't. We were never in fear of speaking German for the rest of our lives. I mean, that can you imagine just the whole scenario? That has there been a book about that? Because I would like to either read or write that book. Well, it's it's and it's not dove into enough. So again, sentiment in 1940 was keep keep the U.S. out of war because America was not happy about their involvement in World War One. A lot of people felt like it was a waste. So, but FDR, to his credit, kind of knew that the U.S. would have to get involved in World War II eventually. Pearl Harbor was obviously the trigger to get the United States involved in World War II. That happened December the 7th, 1941. Nealon was called to service in January of 1941. Meaning FDR was gearing up for war before the U.S. ever thought they would get involved. Here's the story behind that, Dave. When the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor, one of the beliefs that the Germans and Hitler had was they didn't realize the the way the U.S. caught Germany off guard was how prepared the U.S. military was for the war. They didn't realize the U.S. had this large, massive military buildup for two years before the war, and that's where Germany got completely off got caught off guard. That's what Nealon was doing from January to December of 1941. He was training troops over and over and over again, and the Germans and the Japanese had no idea that we were training so many troops and preparing them for war. That, 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 that is the smartest thing that's ever been said on this show. That is so cool. That is so insightful. I'm, I'm really almost speechless. That is. That yeah. Is so they cool. thought they were going to catch us off guard. We caught them off guard by being so prepared. Will you write a book with me? Let's, let's do it. And by the way, Travis, for this whole millennial music, Don't judge me on liking new stuff because I know more than anybody here about history, too. So, you know, you guys try to lecture me on the new stuff, but I love the new stuff and the old stuff. 
I like everything. But I also know that I don't want to ride carriages to work anymore. By the way, ipso facto, Neil was America's goat. It's, it's exactly right. Um, by the way, so I've been monitoring Guns N' Roses concerts. And Axel sounded horrible, horrible, horrible early on. Didn't have enough voice left. He was like a chain smoker. Didn't have enough voice left to fill a microphone. Recently, he sounded good. So the day before my son goes to UMass, which is uh, Wednesday, Guns N' Roses playing in Thompson Bowling Arena with uh, Isles brought to you by Food City. Should I go to that concert with my son on our last night before he leaves? No, his voice is terrible. No. I know, but Slash is so good, and Duff's one of the best no-pick bass players in the history of man. Uh, so get... Well, you don't. It, 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 see, bad concerts are fun if you're wasted. Yes. With my son and make him drive. Is that what you were going to say? Bad, bad concerts are fun <laughs> if you're wasted, but you have to be wasted. I've been to some really bad concerts. I'll be the first to admit. And I, a couple of them I knew they were going to be bad, but I had already like committed. So I just got really, really, really drunk. Yeah. I had a buddy who did that with uh, Page and Plant. And I'm like, that's practically Led Zeppelin. What are you doing? And I had to look out for him the whole time. And he was so belligerent, we had to move up to the very top of Thompson Bowling Arena. Like the last row, just not to get kicked out. And I had to take care of him. And I was like, this is practically Zeppelin in front of us. Speaking of Thompson Bowling Arena, they're going to be called what, Caleb Calhoun? The Thompson Bowling Arena? How do you verbalize food. I believe it's Food City at Thompson Bowling Arena. Or something like that. Yeah, it's or, or Thompson Bowling Arena by Food City. It's 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 one of the two. I don't know exactly how they're going to phrase the name yet. Okay, let me ask you a question. Is this cool? Um, in our three forty five a.m. production meeting, we talked about the implications of nil. But is this just? I mean, is it cool that they're doing this because there were lifetime agreements with the Thompson and the Bowling family? They would never change the name of that arena. So this is a sign that Tennessee is kind of stepping on traditions and agreements of the past, Caleb. And and they're naming it that, and I'm sure it brings in money to the university, and that's all fantastic. But I'll tell you one thing. If it's ever – Thompson Bowling's different. It is a multi-seat venue that hosts concerts and a basketball program – that has been above average historically. Not great, above average. If they ever say Neyland Stadium presented by Bojangles, I'm going to vomit. So this to me could be a little bit scary. Could you ever see them adding on something to Neyland Stadium for a little bit of cash? And I want you to tell me on the message board, would that bother you? I'll tell you right now, if that type of deal would would directly result in getting a Nico kind of guy because the money in house, sorry, I don't want that deal. I don't want it to be anything other than Neyland Stadium. And Rocky Top Tom says, this is one more reason why money doesn't belong within 500,000 miles of college sports. Papa John Stadium was the first to do that. I thought that one of the first. I thought that was incredibly cheesy at Louisville. No pun intended. 
I, if they ever do <laughs> that was a cheesy pun yeah i didn't mean to do that so but if they if they ever do that with neyland stadium we're gonna do a whole show of how much i hate it can you ever imagine that happening could neyland stadium be neyland stadium presented by direct tv look i'm gonna be honest I don't like it. It wouldn't be DirecTV. It'd be Dish Network, I guess. Dish Network, yeah. I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of it. I don't like it, but I understand it. Here's the thing. Danny White has that massive fundraising goal, hence the reason he charged for the spring game. In an era of NIL, where you want your boosters to funnel more money to players, you kind of have to seek more corporate sponsorships to make up those losses. Because you still are going to be in the race to have the nicest facilities in all of college football. And you're still going to be in the races to make sure that you're ahead of the curve with all of your venues. I think at that point, to make up for the losses that boosters are going to spend on NIL rather than venues and facilities, you got to get some corporate sponsorships. I don't like it, but here's the thing, guys. This is America. It's capitalism. I mean, if you don't like it, you don't like capitalism. Go be a communist. I mean, it's, it's really that simple. So it's, it's, if you don't think this should, if you don't think this should be a thing, you might be a communist. (laughs) I'll just say it like that. Well, I, well, I don't think I'm a communist, but (laughs) if it's ever Neyland stadium presented by, or the way they've worded it with Thompson bowling arena, I'm going to be absolutely opposed to that. I think, didn't we all laugh when Kentucky's, a football stadium was named what is it Kroger Field or Kroger what, what Field? It? Yeah, well, remember this. But remember what's the this next was- step? What's the next step? Do you take who for those that don't know, and I know you will. Who are Shields and Watkins? And Caleb's Mister History, he'll definitely know that. Well, they are they were the people who who provided the funding to build what is now Neyland Stadium, and so right. it was called Shields Watkins Field until it was renamed Neyland Stadium in the fifties. But Dave, I got to push. Okay, Thompson and Bowling, Shields and Watkins, those are no more special than corporations naming the stadium because those are just people who had a bunch of money and threw and just, you know, like, hey, here's some money. And no, but there's that, something more there's something more altruistic about that. No, like there's I, not. Well, there's something okay, egotistical. You, if if I if you and I give money to and maybe I do, to the College of Communications at the University of Tennessee, if I give money Listen, I've got an ego where I wouldn't be doing this show every day, but I'm not egotistical enough where I want the I want classroom 201 to be the Dave Hooker classroom. Okay, that's just not how I'm wired. But if I want my name on it and I'm giving something back, then, yeah, it's a little ego driven, but it's more altruistic than it being a corporate entity. Well, well, Dave, you watch Painkillers, the Netflix doc. You told me about it last week. Very good. Look at what the Sackler family did. How did they, how did they, they, they endowed washed their crimes by getting all, by endowing all these museums and libraries and having their name on it. This is, this is stuff from the Gilded Age. Look at what, look at what Andrew Carnegie did. Andrew Carnegie was one of the worst human beings imaginable, but he got Carnegie Hall in New York, Carnegie Theater. I mean, like, that's what, that's what, so it's, it. It was altruistic, but a lot of times, I mean, if you go back through American history, the people with that type of flex money, they would endow something to have their namesake to kind of whitewash their crimes or their incompetence. Heck, 
Look at Tennessee right now. You got the Haslam building. That was for the business center. That was Jimmy Haslam. Nothing should be named after him in Knoxville. Okay, he has been a he has done nothing but run that university's athletic program into the ground. And Tennessee is more successful now because they kept him away. But he still has the business school named after him. Well, and, and Alfred Nobel invented dynamite, and yes. he's it's the Nobel <laughs> Peace Prize. So yes, that endowment washing. I haven't heard that term, but we can use it. But but there are some I made things. It up. <laughs> that, yeah, that, that's very good. There there are some things that are sacred. Um, you know, I. Grew up going to uh, uh, Wallace Memorial Baptist Church there in North Knoxville. I wouldn't want it to be Wallace Memorial Baptist Church presented by Pilate. I mean, at some point there there is a line. It sounds like you're drawing. It sounds like you're taking the line a little bit further than me, and I, I respect that. But where is the line? I guess that's I just what I'm don't. Just, to me, it's Neyland Stadium. I just don't draw the distinction between a corporation and a insanely, insanely rich individual. I, I don't really draw much of a distinction between the two. I do. I mean, I think that a lot of the giving previous to this was they, they were guys that wanted to help the student athletes. And yes, they wanted their name on it. And they wanted their friends to know, but for the most part, their motivation was helping student athletes. This 110% by Food City is about a marketing move. You would agree with that, right? This is a marketing yes, move. This is not about helping student-athletes. Dave, come on, don't make me laugh. It wasn't always about helping student-athletes either, though. It was about having a certain level of control and power. Hmm. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. It was about having a certain level of control and power. And again, you like boosters, for instance, you know this. Yes, maybe the athletic director makes a hiring decision, but you know they got to call the boosters and say, hey, you good with this? You all right with this? Yeah, I don't. And some I don't boosters know. like to control it completely. I don't know the boosters top to bottom at every SEC school, but I can tell you this Tennessee's been very fortunate that I, I think about 80% of the cash that's given is not about having some sort of control. It's being a part of the university. Now, obviously, there have been boosters that have tried to have a strong influence. Uh, J Jim Haslam did not. You know, he ultimately is who you would go to to have big decisions made, but I don't think he was on the phone trying to manipulate things. Jimmy Haslam would have been different if it hadn't been for the Cleveland Browns. But, yeah, I mean... Neyland Stadium brought to you by Publix would be very disheartening to me. And um, that's what they just did with Thompson Bowling. And if you don't think it's crossed um, Danny Watt's mind, you're crazy. Because what would that be worth? Good gracious. I mean, what? I mean, minimum $25 million a year? I mean, what, if, you, if you could do Neyland Stadium... Uh, fielded by Publix, what would that be worth? It's got to be $25 million a year. I, I would, I, at, a, at a minimum. I'll also say this, though, because you brought up Papa John's that's Stadium. Cool, that's, that's almost 20% of their budget, Caleb. But, Dave, I'll bring this up. You brought up Papa John's Stadium. I don't know if you remember this, but I know, I know a lot about Louisville because growing up in Memphis, if you remember, 
Memphis, Louisville, and Cincinnati were kind of peers as college programs in the 90s. They were both, you know, below average football programs with that cared about basketball. And they were in the, they were in the same, they were in a similar conference. Louisville made a forward-thinking decision to care about football. And they did get the naming rights to Papa John Stadium. One of those, one of those three programs got into a power five conference before anybody else. And one of those three programs is actually generating enough revenue to where when all the realignment happens, they're going to have a chance to get into one of the two big conferences. And it's Louisville. It's not Cincinnati or Memphis. That's true. Talking recruiting, we get to that now. And five recruiting targets to keep an eye on. I was on a Nashville station this morning in which I was asked uh, about potential uh, about Tennessee's commitments and Jordan Ross is that the biggest one out of Alabama uh, since a guy named Condridge Holloway and I I can't tell you that's been uh, half a century but it's right up there and I think that Jordan Ross is the biggest commitment not named Nico that Tennessee has gotten because Mike Matthews also a five-star wants to come to Tennessee because he wants to be a part of an awesome offense and who can blame him for that um, but that's a huge get. Don't get me wrong. But Jordan Ross to be an edge rusher and want to be a part of Tennessee's program is monstrous. So five prospects to keep an eye on as we move into football season. And this was uh, done by Caleb Giroux, who's absolutely killing it. Let's count them down. Let's start with number five, another edge rusher, Cameron Fountain of Youth. Um, probably the longest shot, according to Jarreau, on this list. He is currently committed to USC, uh, but uh, there's been some interest there. He's in Atlanta, Georgia. USC's a long ways away. So Tennessee, if they were able to pick up Cameron Fountain out of Georgia, that would be a monstrous one. He ranks number 98 in the country uh, and number eight in edge rusher would be huge, 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 huge. The balls need to get Fountain on campus this fall to have a chance. If they do that, watch out. Yeah, Cameron Fountain is – I think there's a very good chance because it doesn't seem like he's taken a lot of visits yet. So if he's able to get to Knoxville and see campus, I mean, if it's about the visits, I mean, Dave, it's a – Let's call it what it is. Knoxville is a way better environment than USC in football. It just is. Now, now living in LA, you know, the girls, the beach. I mean, okay, that I, I can't argue with that. But just the actual football environment, if he hasn't even seen Knoxville yet, then there's a really good chance, particularly when he has – he'll be comparing it to likely Sanford Stadium, which I don't care what anybody says is not that great of a football environment in the stadium because the sound travels out because of the way it's built. And USC, I mean, that's a huge advantage for Knoxville and Neyland Stadium. Yeah, Tennessee would be better off if they did away with the early signing period so that guys made their decisions more off uh, official visits during games. Um, it would make a big, huge difference, um, I, I believe. I, I believe in terms of maybe one or two top prospects per class, but <clears throat> I've heard no inkling that they're going to get rid of the early signing period. I was once for that, not so much anymore. Offensive lineman Jordan Seaton uh, is a four-star uh, player, and man, he's he's been recruited by just about everybody. He's from DC, but uh, he's out of IMG Academy, number thirty-nine prospect 
nationally, number one interior offensive lineman. These are the type of guys, that's the type of guy that Georgia, that Kirby Smart said when he got to Georgia, that Georgia had to get. And these are the type of guys, along with the Jordan Rosses of the world, that Tennessee has to get. The big athletic guys, not just the big or athletic guys. This would be huge for for the ball, Jordan Seaton. I'm going to move on to Danny Okoye. Um, it's been popping up a, a lot more recently, according to Caleb Giroux. Uh, he ranks as the number 152 prospect in the nation, number 10 edge rusher. Here's my thinking with edge rushers. Get as many as you can, see if they pan out, and boot them to the transfer portal if they don't. So go get him if you can. Six foot four, 241 pounds. Um, will officially visit Tennessee at the end of September. Plans to announce his decision soon after. I think the Vols should feel pretty good about where they stand with Okoye. Yes, and for a little bit of history, Dave, you probably remember Tennessee used to have a pretty, not like great, but okay pipeline with some Tulsa kids back in the day. I think Marcus Nash and Robert Meacham both came out of Tulsa. And and so, yeah, Okoye would be a good pickup. And I've said this for a while. Edge rusher, regardless of what you think of Tennessee's defense, edge rusher is appealing. Or it's appealing to edge rushers because you're going to get a lot of chances to pick up stats and pick up sacks and rack up numbers. I mean, that's that's the one thing that is a saving grace. It's not as much of a selling point for an for an inside linebacker or a defensive back, but for an edge rusher, you know you're going to get a lot of chances at sacks if you go to Tennessee. No, agreed. Linebacker Chris Cole, four-star linebacker, has become a priority for Tennessee. Now, they're coming down the stretch of his recruitment. Salem High School, Virginia. Cole, teammate of current Tennessee commitment, Peyton Lewis. So you would think the Vols have a pretty good chance. But analysts are split uh, as far as where he'll go. The guy that we, I think, is most trustworthy or most correct, or however you want to say that, most of the time, Steve Wiltfong has him going to uh, Georgia. Um, he unofficially visited Tennessee at the end of July. They've got to get him in for an official. And then Ryan Wingo. Good Lord. Um, we've said Ryan Wingo's name on this program almost as much as, and Travis, I'm going to go ahead and do this to make you happy, as Nico. Ia Male Ava. Ia Male Ava. Ryan Wingo seems to have really gotten caught up in the recruiting process, is enjoying it, and I'm not sure that he's in any hurry. Georgia and Missouri both heavily involved in his recruitment. Um, But does Tennessee even need Wingo as much as they did now that they have Mike Matthews? I'm not sure that he's at the top of their board any longer. I mean, he's towards the top, but I'm not sure that he's – one of the first 10 prospects they'd like to get with the way their class is shaping up. Yeah. Ryan Wingo, it, it would be about him and his mentality. I can't blame him if he doesn't go to Tennessee. I, Cause if he's worried about playing time, he might want to go elsewhere. I think Tennessee's focus is going to be more in the trenches now and linebacker. I, I think we're Tennessee short on his defensive backs, but Dave, I think you and I both agree. They're just not going to get high, highly talented defensive backs. Nobody's going to want to go to Tennessee at that level right now i don't blame him for enjoying the recruiting process i would enjoy the recruiting process if i were a recruit i'm, I'm just going to be honest i would love it i would take it i would take advantage of every one of those places that offered me i and so that's especially not when, especially if we were 17 yeah 
Yes, exactly. And when Lane Kiffin has some hostesses pick me up at the airport, like, of course I want to be picked up by hostesses at the airport. Here's the thing that crosses the line to me when you're teasing fans. I think you should just be straight up honest. Take all your visits. Enjoy all the perks that come with that. But I don't think you tease fans just to get love. Now, I think with Wingo, there's two things at play. One, I think he's the best fit at Tennessee. Two, and I'm going to write a column about this, the Williams-Winary story, is that in Missouri, Eli Drunkwit, Drinkwitz, excuse me, <laughs> is, is, allowed sit, yeah, is allowed to sit in on meetings with the NIL collectives and the prospects. That's a state law in Missouri that was passed two days before Winary committed to Missouri. So that law has got to change. Who would change that law? Caleb, you and I will discuss it because I'm going to write a call-out column likely today because that law needs to change because you're not going to get any federal legislation anytime soon from Congress. In case you're not aware, they've got a lot of things going on. So I, I just don't think you're going to get help from Congress anytime soon. All right, we go on the record in two minutes. Our picks for the college football playoff, New Year's Six Bowl, and more. As we are so close to football season, you can fill it. Two minutes with Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker off the hook sports. Our family has been creating one-of-a-kind pieces of jewelry in West Knoxville since 1986. Each piece is a combination of unique processes that bring your idea to life. Every day in our shop, a truly special item with a story all its own is being manufactured in our facility, bringing the history and family sentiment into a whole new generation of life. We are grateful that you chose us to be Knoxville's best jeweler, a title that we value and respect. Because to me, being a jeweler and owning a jewelry store are not the same thing. I'm Rick Terry, I'm a jeweler, and we want to be your jeweler. Kingston Pike and Campbell Station Road in the heart of Farragut and downtown on Gay Street right next to the Tennessee Theater. Hi, Mike Davis here with City Heating and Air, reminding you to always dare to compare. Our team provides quality local heating and air service, installation, and maintenance across East Tennessee. We use only the best equipment like American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning for your residential, new construction, or commercial needs. Honesty, dependability, and customer satisfaction have been the cornerstones of our business since 1961. City Heat and Air. These mountains hold and defend a spirit far better than moonshine. A drink that holds flavor that becomes necessity. A hard cider made and relished by folk who are as hearty as they are legend. A refreshment that can only be found in one place. With a taste that makes you say, give me three bottles of the good stuff. Tennessee Cider Company, where necessity can be found. Um, who's this guy? Hello, wizard! The Dave Hooker Show. Ooh. A presentation of Off the Hook Sports. What? YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the free Off the Hook Sports app. Back to Dave Hooker.
You get five visits that was being discussed on our message board. Yes, you get five. And uh, Travis says, why does every recruit not go on a trip to Hawaii and or Vegas? I would. Well, Vegas, you'd be pretty limited because of the 18-year-old age limit. A lot of those establishments. Caleb told me he's tried to get into some place called uh, Spearmint Rhino. I have no idea what that is, but that uh, you have to you have to be a certain age to get in that place. I, I don't know what that is, but that's just what he tells me. And uh, Hawaii is actually very very selective. You've got to kind of prove to them that you're interested because I've been saying that for 20 years, I would go to Hawaii every single time, but a five-star in Atlanta that grew up loving the Georgia Bulldogs is, is probably not going to be a guy they would extend a visit to. So that's uh, part of the, part of the reasoning in, in all of this. So it is time for us to get to our college football playoff pick. And I I gave mine a little bit away yesterday when I told you that I think Tennessee makes the college football playoff. But uh, let's go ahead and get into that right now. Do you want to begin with the individual bowl games as those that are fans of other SEC schools will get an idea of where we stand? So how do you want to set this up there, Caleb Calhoun? Let's start with our Power Five champions, and then we'll go to the individual bowl games. Let's eat, let's name the Power Five champions of each conference, both of us. Okay, Power Five champions. I have Clemson winning the ACC. You and I both. You're a little bit more down on Florida State, but I I think they're overhyped. SEC. I've got Georgia winning. Uh, the Big Ten. I've got Ohio State winning, just because I think that's a coin flip and. Uh, Michigan won it last year. Pac-12, I've got Southern California winning. And then the Big 12, I've got Oklahoma. That's a shock that you, that to me. I, I just I thought you weren't that high on Brent Venables this year. I'm not. I'm not. But uh, I decided to go in that direction because I felt like I was doing chalk with the rest of them. Okay. Um, I'm mostly with you. I'm Clemson. I, I'm LSU for the SEC. I am Ohio State for the Big Ten. I think they should win it this year. I'm USC for the Pac-12, should have won it last year. And I actually think Kansas State repeats as Big 12 champs, but I think Kansas State and Clemson are conference champs by default. I just think the ACC and Big 12 are going to be bad this year. Yep, okay, I can roll with that. And then if we look at – so then we want to go with the New Year's Six Bowl projections. Mine are – oh, my screen blipped. Uh, my New Year's Six Bowl projections are Cotton Bowl, Oklahoma, Tulane, Fiesta Bowl, Michigan, LSU, Orange Bowl, Florida State, Alabama, Peach Bowl, Penn State, Washington. All right. Mine, Cotton Bowl. My group of five team is not Tulane, but UTSA, who Tennessee plays this year, and Ooh. Penn State. I think UTSA may go 11-1 and one and only lose to Tennessee. Um. Mm-hmm. So I've got UTSA and Penn State because there's going to be three Big Ten teams make New Year's Six Bowl games, and we know who those three are going to be before the year starts. It's just so obvious. <laughs> there's like a three in the Big Ten and then everybody else. <laughs> so um, is, Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so I've got Kansas State and State will win the Fiesta Bowl. I've got them playing Oregon, who I think will play USC for the Pac-12 title but will lose. I've got a repeat in the Orange Bowl, Tennessee and Clemson. 
I've got it happening again this year. And then I've got Georgia in the Peach Bowl playing Michigan. I think neither one of those teams wins their conference, but they'll be highly touted in their leagues. College football playoff picks. Here's what I got. Tennessee Clemson in the Rose Bowl. Why do they get shipped out there? Because I believe Georgia will be the number one seed, which essentially gives them regional home field advantage, and they will play Ohio State in the Sugar Bowl. So those are my college football playoff picks. Yes, I have Tennessee making the college football playoff, but not winning the SEC, what would have played out last year had it not been for the South Carolina loss. I think the season plays out this year almost exactly like it played out uh, last year with the exception of uh, Tennessee does not beat Georgia and Tennessee does not beat uh, Alabama. So um, I think Tennessee is going to play at a very high level. uh, And I think Tennessee's defense is going to be better. So um, I I think that Tennessee is a two loss regular season team uh, and that they will, they will make the playoff uh, with, with two losses and, be able to slip in there without playing in the SEC championship. So who do you think's going to win those two playoff games? Who's playing for the national title to you? You're going to say that. Um, I think that I think Tennessee is one or two years away from being in the national championship game. So I'm going to say that Clemson is able to win, uh, is able to beat Tennessee, despite the fact that Tennessee handled them uh, last year. I would not be surprised. I'm basically going on an escalating scale. I think Georgia beats Ohio State. But as far as drama, and not just for this show and our website, but for content, I would love to see two SEC teams. So probably secretly I'm rooting for Tennessee and Georgia to be in the national championship game or even Georgia and Alabama. Cause you know how big of an sec guy I am. And as, as, as respected as the sec is, I still think it's underrated. So that's where I stand on that. I think Tennessee's a year away from making the national championship game, but on track to make the college football playoffs this year. All right. And last one, uh, before I go on to mine, I need to know your national title pick Georgia or Clemson. I don't want to do it because it hasn't been done since Minnesota did it in the 40s, three years in a row. But I'm going to take Georgia to win it again. Wow, Dave going for the for the three-peat. Look at now, you. Now, Rocky Top Tom asked me, Dave, if Alabama and Georgia both beat us and you have us in the playoff, that means theoretically there are three SEC teams in the playoffs. No, 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 I don't think that. I think Alabama loses another game. I like Alabama to beat Tennessee because it's in Tuscaloosa. But I don't think Alabama is good enough to have a record at the end of November to to get in over Tennessee. So despite the win, I think it's going to be a very similar. You know, last year, Alabama was ahead of Tennessee in the college football playoff rankings, right? And everybody's like, right. it seems pretty simple. They played each other. I think you're going to have the same thing happen in reverse this year. So do you realize how unpopular Tennessee is going to be if there were two loss non-conference champion that backs into the college football playoff and then they lose 
in the first game of the college football playoff. Do you realize how unpopular that's going to be with the nation? Yeah, I do. And I think that you kind of brought this to my attention that I think you're going to see the first year in which the, I hate to say this, but the conference championship game has a little bit less meaning than it did before. I think this is going to be the first year where you're going to see, according to my prediction, I think this is the first year that you're going to see that have slightly less of an impact than it should have, at least in my heart. Um, kind of like the SEC basketball tournament or conference basketball tournament. So I think you're going to see a little bit of that this year. And um, I, it hurts me to say it, but that's just how I see things playing out when I went through all of the schedules and did them kind of individually. All right. So on my end, college football playoff, I've got, since I have LSU winning the SEC, I've got them going to the college football playoff, but I don't think they will be a top seed. I think just playing in the SEC, they'll probably stumble somewhere, but during the regular season, but still win it. And I'll have them going to the Rose Bowl as a result facing USC, who I think will win the Pac-12 and by default will go undefeated. My top seed on the year is actually Ohio State because I think they're going to coast through the Big Ten and they'll get the number one seed and they'll get to play in the Sugar Bowl. But that won't be as much of a home field for them because they're going to play Alabama. So I got Ohio State facing Alabama in the Sugar Bowl, LSU facing USC in the Rose Bowl. I've got LSU beating USC and Ohio State beating Alabama. And for my national championship, Dave, I got Ohio State beating LSU. I think if Ryan Day doesn't win the national title this year, you got to fire him. They're fire him? Yes. You can't fire somebody that's in the national championship game. Ohio State is way too loaded with talent this year. They're, they are one of the best tracks track records you can look to, Dave, for – the best team in college football is who's got the most first round NFL draft picks. Ohio state latched the field this year in first round picks for next year. I mean, and if they don't win it, that's a big, big, big issue for Ryan day. They almost beat, we forget. They almost beat Georgia last year. And well, they are the one team outside of the South that could, that is on par with Southern teams talent wise. I'm trying to imagine Caleb Calhoun being the athletic director at Ohio state. And he says, all right, guys, private meeting. It's it's August. Uh, the season hasn't started yet. But if if this Ryan guy makes the national championship game and doesn't win it, I don't care if it's a last-second field goal or whatever, we're going to fire him. And somebody seems somebody raises their hand and says, uh, A.D. Calhoun, that seems a little harsh. What if he doesn't make the college football playoff? Well, then clearly we have to shoot him. <laughs> no, I'm firing for calls if he doesn't make the. Co- I will say, I will say that's a breach of contract if he doesn't make the college football playoff. Oh, <laughs> you should. Okay, Ohio State and LSU. When you have the programs rolling, you should be in the college football playoff more years than you're not. Well, now when it's 12 teams, you should be in it every year. Ohio State, Alabama, Ohio State, LSU, and Georgia. Those three schools. If if it's a 12 team playoff, but the coach I hire, you get one year. For the rest of your life after that, you better be in the college football playoff every year, the 12-team playoff, because there's would, a way too easy of jobs. Let me ask you this. If you're Tennessee, would you rather win the SEC and not make the college football playoff or not play in the SEC championship game and lose in the semifinals of the college football playoff? Okay, I'd rather have a ring. 
yeah, the SEC championship ring matters. Now, in a year, it's easily win the SEC title. But if you win, if you win the SEC title in a year, you're in the college football playoff with 12 teams. That's not that's not a question at that point. So yeah, I'd say you take the ring. Well, LSU might have they might have not gotten in last year. Had they won it? Yeah. Well, no, no. I'm talking about when the playoff goes to 12 teams. Oh, yeah, when it goes to 12 teams. I'm talking this upcoming year. And okay. this is – I'm seeing on the message boards, I, I just have to point this out. Dave, this is right. Ryan Day is Mark Rick. He's Right now, he's Mark Rick. And Mark Rick got fired because it was actually – I don't know if it was fully his fault. I think Georgia, at the time, carried themselves with too much integrity. I know that's a bad thing to say, but you, you got to sacrifice a little integrity if you're trying to win. On the and... message board, Rick is Day. Day is Rick. Finkel is Einhorn. Einhorn is Finkel. Uh, reference to the uh, Ace Ventura. Do you remember that? Oh, gosh. <laughs> it's been so long since I saw that movie. <laughs> um, Finkel is Einhorn. Einhorn is Finkel. By the way, if you go back and watch that movie, the most non-politically correct movie in this day and age that you can imagine. I mean, yeah. It just uh, makes fun of uh, transgender people, <laughs> and it would not. You could not put that movie out nowadays. It would be picketed, and there are several comedies from that era that you could say that about. And then you've got the poor little ACC trying to keep it together. What the? What was he thinking? Release the hose. The Dave Hooker Show. Keep cool. A presentation of OffTheHookSports.com. ACC trying to add Stanford, Cal, SMU. It only took them, what, about 40 years to become relevant once again? By the way, beautiful campus there at SMU. Fantastic facilities. Tennessee held a Cotton Bowl week of practice there. And you can see where that money came from. To be little SMU and to be like, wow, this is one of the nicest campuses I've been on. Um, there's a lot of money there. So the ACC wants to add Stanford, Cal, and SMU. Do you think that'll happen? Do you think the ACC can save themselves from complete irrelevance anytime soon? This could save them. Uh, somebody estimated that they could increase their deal by like $72 million with ESPN. And here's why this could save them. And I've been talking about it for a while. The schools that want to leave the SEC, the ACC, you seem to get a majority of them to agree to kill the grant of rights agreement. Right now, a majority is eight schools. Well, if you add Stanford, Cal, and SMU, all of a sudden, you need nine schools to agree to kill the grant of rights agreement. It's a little bit harder, doesn't it? So what the ACC is doing is playing hardball with the Florida States and the Clemsons of the world. And they're trying to keep them stuck in that conference till 2036. And they're doing everything they can in that power. And so they will add Stanford, Cal, and SMU. I wouldn't be surprised if they added Oregon State and Washington State, honestly, just to make it even harder. What would Tennessee do in the current ACC this year? They'd be one of the top two teams. It'd be Tennessee or Clemson winning the ACC. Nobody else. What about if you added – would the fans like it if you added SMU, Cal, and Stanford and the ability to travel out west? You know, Tennessee travels really well, and they like going to new places. They they did a great job of uh, having a, a fantastic showing in Oregon when the program wasn't good. Do you, Would fans – we've never asked ourselves really that question. And, and now we're past the point, I think, of – 
being regional and having contiguous states is the term Greg Sankey used. Would the SEC and, and Tennessee and those fan bases, would they like um, an every couple of year trip out west? I mean, Tennessee traveled to Pitt. They traveled to Miami for the Orange Bowl. They traveled to LSU. And there's a passionate fan base there. And I wonder if they would they would enjoy going to going to Cal, going to Stanford. Not if we were not if they were stuck in the ACC. If I'm a fan, I'm like, <laughs> well, no, I, 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 kinda, I, I would I wouldn't want to go there, but then have to play Duke in North Carolina. Well, I kind of change. Yeah, I did kind of change gears on you. But if if Southern California and UCLA had worked out a deal with the SEC instead of the Big Ten, I still would have criticized it just from the logistics standpoint. But with Tennessee fans of like that, now that's a lot different than going to Oregon and Washington or Washington State. Okay, so but if if would would fans have appreciated that like that? Would they have? If we flipped it, flipped the script completely when we talk conference realignment, would would fans have liked that in the SEC? I don't think they would have liked it any more than what they liked in the past. Because the way it was in the past, and this is why I didn't like this whole 60-team Super League that's going to happen soon, is that it used to be you had your rivals in the middle of the season, but Labor Day weekend, you had a big game that you traveled for. You know, you traveled out west or somewhere. And then you had your bowl game where you traveled somewhere to play a new team. And then in the middle of the season, you had your big conference games. That's how I felt like college football should work. I feel like college football is like the perfect. It was the perfect calendar. You start it on Labor Day weekend with a bunch of big games between power five teams. You end it Thanksgiving week. Then you got conference championship week the week after. Then you got bowl season. I mean, it was just so it was the perfect setup. It was so beautiful, and that's it's it's not happening like that anymore. But the, I mean, even th- even this year, the slate of Power Five games. I don't know if you saw it, Dave, or Labor Day is terrible. There are hardly any good games on Saturday, next Saturday, and I, it's it's shameful that that's what's happening with college football. That I mean, Labor Day weekend should have those. I would say this: Labor Day weekend, like whoever wins plays for the national championship should always play in a rematch the opening weekend of college football. How epic would that be? Oh, I would love that. And the NFL did that for a while, and then they kind of got away from that, didn't they? Yeah, you would like Thursday Night Football. It wouldn't always be a rematch between the Super Bowl, but it'd be a rematch between, like, if you played for the AFC title or something like that. It would be two teams that went very, very far the year before, and they opened the season on Thursday night doing that. Like, Listen, I think it, if the SEC, if it gets crazy where it's a national sport and it – to some extent already has, but if it takes that next step, listen, if you add Cal, Cal's a great place to watch a football game. It is gorgeous. I mean, that's one of the most gorgeous stadiums. You've got the mountains in the background. I mean, I I don't know. I think some fans would like to go out to Cal. I think some fans would like to go. We already had a couple people say that they would love to go to the Rose Bowl. Um, we've kind of looked at this. And home and homes are better than neutral site games, are they not? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I can't even – I'm trying hard to think of an example of a great neutral site place. Outside of the battle at Bristol, but that wasn't really a trip for anybody. And... Well, that just all out was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> I went all that way and sat in that traffic 
and watch the game on television because I couldn't see the field because it was so far away. I don't. You uh, have you ever been? So to it an was NASCAR a gimmick, race? but it wasn't really worth it. Is what you're saying? No. Have you ever been to a NASCAR race? I mean, you know, I've camped. I've camped out in the middle of a NASCAR stadium for a music festival one time, though. Yeah, I mean, you could take Neyland Stadium and put it in the middle of Bristol Motor Speedway, and that's one of the smallest ones, if not the smallest one, I think. Um, yeah, I couldn't see. I couldn't tell who was out there. and I had no idea who was on the field half the time. You couldn't see jersey numbers. I would have loved to have been – I wish the late John Ward had called that game and I could interview him after because he always hated – the orange on white numerals before they put the black outlining on it. And he used to always complain about that because it was hard to see the numbers. He might have flipped out and quit in the middle of the second quarter because you couldn't see who anybody was. Can you imagine John Ward, the legend, watching television in his box to call the game? Because that's oh what it would it, have to yeah. be. You could not tell a nine from an eight. We were, yeah, we were that, 100 that yards bad. away. That, that that would be bad. That would be I, – I totally understand that, yes. <laughs> I mean, I seriously so, sat there. And for those on the YouTube channel, be sure to hit the like and subscribe button, turn the notifications on. But if you're watching on our video outlets, this is Dave staring up at a TV in the press box instead of watching the game that's right in front of me. That game – they could have stopped the game and moved it to Darlington Motor Speedway, and I still would have been watching TV and probably wouldn't have known that they moved the game. oh lord that's great yeah it was it was definitely a gimmick so i mean i guess long term you're right so home and homes over neutral site because i'm tired of these games in atlanta and things like that like when georgia plays well okay how about this neutral site games when it's two teams in a similar region like when georgia's playing clemson or something like that neutral site but when georgia's playing usc or when tennessee's playing washington or oregon yeah i want the home and home because I think Oregon fans would love to travel to Tennessee. Tennessee fans would love a trip to Oregon. I mean, it's a, it, I, I think that would be so much more fun. Maybe we ripped the Big Ten a little bit too soon. Because there, there is a cool factor there. But still, logistically, I think it's a complete fiasco. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. We're with you weekdays at 10 a.m. Like, subscribe, hit the notification button. He's Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker. This has been a presentation of Off the Hook Sports.